You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 336. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the show. We are the Family Gamers. As always, my name is Andrew. I'm your host. <laughs> and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Nitra. That's me. We are excited for another show this week. I think maybe we're excited because we're recording a little bit early because you're going to PAX East for a couple days and then I'm going for and a day. You're going. Yeah, it'll be a good time. I mean, you say excited. I say stressed out and really tired, but you know, it all comes you're out. You're already tired? Yes. <laughs> it hasn't even started yet. I know. Oh, that's no good. But we thought that this week we would take some listener feedback, back mm-hmm. talk. And our main topic this week is going to be some of our most played games. Yeah, so in the Family Gamers community chat, so first of all, you should join the Family Gamers community. Second of all, you should definitely join the Family Gamers community chat. We've been talking a lot about some things that people want to hear about, and lists came up a lot. I think there was like chanting. There was chanting, lists, lists, lists. (laughs) So we are going to spend, I don't know, some episodes talking about some lists. This week, we're going to talk about our most played games, and we kind of broke them out into some different categories. We'll talk about that second half of the show, but one of the things that we want to do is make sure to solicit your lists as well, so we'll give you advance notice of what our show topics are going to be. If you are part of the Family Gamers community. Yes, You'll be able to weigh in, share your lists, and we will share them on the show. But that's all like second half stuff. We are talking second half stuff, and we're in the first five minutes of the show. What? We need to talk about something else. dogs living together. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) Let's talk about a fact. This one is kind of interesting. So have you ever heard of, Anitra, Mm -hmm. Alexander the Great? Yes. In fact, (laughs) I have heard of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great became the leader of the Greek kingdom of Macedonia in... 336 BC. Okay. Cool. That was the year. He died 13 years later. Short time, but in that period of time, he had built an empire that stretched from Greece all the way to India in 13 years. I believe the famous quote is something along the lines of, and Alexander wept because there were no more lands to conquer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that's my fact. Cool. Well, I have a message from our sponsor. A little while back, First Move asked for some questions from listeners on the Facebook group, and they received some great ones. So this one we're going to talk about this week. The question is, can you and should you insure your game collection separately? First off, if you're a homeowner, you likely have homeowner's insurance. But if you're a renter, you have to actively seek out renter's insurance. It's usually very affordable and very much worth the premium. Either one of these, homeowners or renters insurance, will cover the value of your game collection up to a certain limit, depending on the reason for the loss. So here's a couple things to look at with your coverage. First, check what losses are covered. For instance, loss by flood isn't usually covered unless you have a separate flood policy. The next thing is, what are the limits for personal property value? This is usually a percentage of the dwelling protection. So if you have your home insured for, say, $200,000, the personal property is likely covered for about half of that, or around $100,000. But that includes 
everything, clothes, electronics, furniture, and your games. A few of those items, like jewelry or cash, will have smaller specific limits as well. If the coverage is too low, you can either ask your insurance agent to increase the personal property coverage or get additional coverage for specific things. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, you need to consider what type of coverage you have. Actual cash value is not as good as it sounds. What that means is that the insurance company will look at the purchase price, depreciate the value over time, and in other words, what would you be able to buy this for at a garage sale? For the sake of those Grail games in your collection, assume it's a garage sale where they don't know it's a Grail game. What you want your coverage to be is replacement value. What that means is that you'll receive enough money to replace the items lost with similar items, which may leave you a little short for those same Grail games, but much closer to the whole than with actual cash value. If you want to ask First Move your questions, schedule a free meeting with them by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a time to talk. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. All right. So it's that time. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah. So we we had an eventful week. Uh, <laughs> we flew to Michigan for a day uh, <laughs> to go to a wedding, which yeah. was awesome. And we got to play a game there because the people that got married are friends of ours and also friends of Josh and Helena Capel. You may recognize the names Josh and Helena Capel. They are the brains behind Kids Table Board Gaming. Oh, I thought you would recognize them because they were on our show. I mean, that too. <laughs> but anyway, so Kids Table Board Gaming has recently announced a game called Diced Veggies. And we got to play it. And we got to play it. It's not out yet. I think it's coming out later this year. I is it Gen, Gen Con? Con? I think. I feel like that sounds right. But um, this is a really cool game. It's a clever concept. This was designed by Josh and his son and his niece. Yes. So you want to talk about kind of how the game works? So Diced Veggies is a set collection game with dice. Uh, you are trying to collect specific colored dice to make these different dishes and every die color represents a certain kind of vegetable so mushrooms and tomatoes and carrots and things like that however the way you collect these dice is by chopping them out of a central block and you can only chop out a certain number of pips so if you can get a bunch of low numbered dice close to each other you could potentially pull out like four dice or maybe even five with one chop and swoop but most of the time you're going to be looking at two or maybe three dice and they have to line up you're making a single chop and the dice that you chop off have to have a pip value of i believe it was 10 or less mm -hmm. yep so it gets really challenging just with that part to grab the dice you want and not to the dice you don't want. And sixes and fives tend to stay on the edges for a long time. Well, the thing that's really interesting about this is there's these, I don't know, fad cards? or They're like recipe sweetener cards. Yeah. I don't remember what they're called. And a lot of them really prefer to have higher point value higher dice numbers, in yeah. the recipes. Higher numbers, fives and sixes, pips. 
But the balance to that is you can't take as many dice if you're taking dice with higher pips on right. them. And so it's a really difficult place to be when you're trying to use your sweetener cards, but you're also trying to get like a higher quantity of dice mm-hmm. because the recipes really only call for colors. So it's a really interesting balance between trying to pump out a bunch of recipes to maybe quicken the end of the game versus trying to get like really high value recipes by using these sweetener cards. And one of the things that's also interesting about it is like if you keep putting recipes out, you're not building up a stable of cards in your hand. So you're kind of limited because you only have one or two cards in your hand. Yeah, I think you can only ever have two recipes down in front of you that you're working on. Right. But it's hard because you kind of want to have a bunch of sweetener cards to make decisions with and have some choices. But if you keep playing the recipes, you're not going to be cycling that because you can only do one action on your turn. So there's a really interesting push-pull dynamic there where you have multiple completely opposing goals that you're trying to fulfill at the same time. Right. And... While Andrew is describing all of this, this is also still a completely approachable game for kids. Oh, totally. I mean, this is us as gamers. We got super into the like, oh, man, but if I do this, then I can't do that. And I really want to, you know, max out my points by doing that. But you can remove those sweetener cards completely and play with kids. And you're just trying to get the dice you want for the recipes you're trying to do. You can make it even simpler than that if kids are having trouble figuring out the counting pips and how to maximize the number of dice they can get. And with young kids, you can just say you always get to chop off no more than three dice, period. Mm. It's very smart, honestly. I mean, it just, you know, playing through the game and seeing how it works, uh, it's just, it's really smart. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. some other pieces, like there's a, a power chip that can either be used to change the color of a die or to change the number of a die. That was super useful. Which is very useful. And I forget what the requirement, I think if there's any color of dice that is no longer available, yes, you can basically scoop everything up and- All the discards Yeah, all the discard stuff in. and everything. Everybody gets their wild chip back and you reroll everything and then you keep going. Mm-hmm. So the game keeps moving. There's not a lot of kind of like grindy feeling things in it, which I really like. No, it always felt like you were moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the end game is somebody has seven recipes. If you feel like that's a little long, just make it five or four, yeah. and it's totally okay. Like, frankly, like, I enjoyed playing the game, but I kind of wish we played with less recipes <laughs> because we were at a party, after all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to it coming out. I mean, we played a prototype copy, so it didn't have final stuff, but it looks great. It feels great. I'm really hoping that we can get the three of them on the show in the not-too-distant future, I maybe closer to. to release time. Yeah. But that is Diced Veggies from Kids Table Board Gaming. But wait, there was another game new to us that we played on this trip. That is true. We were just outside of the Motor City itself. Mm -hmm. While we were there, we played Motor City. Mm -hmm. So this is the third beefy roll and write from Pinchback and Riddle. Mm -hmm. Motor City uh, Gameworks, in fact. I liked it, but not as much as either Fleet the Dice game or Three Sisters, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a theme thing. For me, this game, it doesn't have quite the Fleet feel to it. And that might just be because Fleet the Dice game was really the game that brought me into Thinky Rollin' Rights. <laughs> and so, like, I have a little bit of nostalgia for it sure. in general. Sure, sure. 
but I think I like it better than Three Sisters. I like Three Sisters fine, but the theme never really like grabbed me and made me all you know warm and fuzzy inside. Sure. Like it's just fine to me. This one, there are things about it that appeal to me more than other things. Like the test track part of it, I'm just kind of like, eh, it's a test track. But like the production thing with all the branching paths, like I think that's pretty cool. Sure, you know so. There's a lot of iconography in this game, like probably way more than either of the other ones. Yes. It definitely looks like they were trying to go for a design that would allow them to localize this to other languages without needing to make major changes to the sheets that you write on. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of words, but very, very few. But the problem is that they went so heavy on the symbols and the theme of what they were going for, that it's not always apparent to see how things relate. Like, there were certain symbols that you needed to be able to cross off somewhere in order to fulfill another goal, but it's like, I don't know whether to look for that symbol on the test track or in the production area. I just don't know. And some of that'll come with familiarity and playing it more, but I'm going to use Three Sisters as an example. I know that the flowers are all around the edge of the main garden. You know, I know that the pumpkins are also all the way around the edge. So if I'm doing something that involves flowers or pumpkins, I know where to look. Mm -hmm. You know, I may have to look around that edge, but I know where I'm looking. Sure. I just felt like I didn't really know where to look for a lot of the stuff in Motor City. I think that's fair. So you're talking about like the crates and the certifications, like the too difficult to and find the, things. And the wheel things. There was an A wheel, a B wheel, and a C wheel that you needed for certain stuff. Oh, the tires. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tires, whatever they were. Yeah. It didn't seem consistent enough for me to be able to look and be like, oh, right, it's over there. I had to keep reminding myself, right, I wanted to go for this thing, and that thing is in this spot. Sure. And there was no good way to kind of hook onto it and say, Mm -hmm. this is the direction I'm going. I get it. No, I totally understand that. And that kind of fits with our varied preferences in games. Sure. That it would be something that would be far more of a negative for you than for me. So We also struggled with the dice board, I guess you would call it. So like Three Sisters, this is a game where you roll the dice and then you lay them out on a board depending on what got rolled. But unlike Three Sisters, nothing has numbers. So it's like there's white dice and blue dice and gray dice. And then there's this kind of grid board and you have to find the row for the color of the die and the symbol along the top and like put the die in that spot in the grid. We really struggled to <laughs> put those dice in the right place. And I don't know why it, it seems was like me it being be stupid. Simple. I mean, it would probably was not enough coffee. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that was very dumb, but I don't know. Like I said, it's probably for me, it's fleet and then motor city and then three sisters for some reason, like, the way that you move Farmer Edith around like messes with my head sometimes too. Okay, sure. You know, like, oh, I got to remember to move it before I do the, like, you know, some little things like that. Well, and that's one of those things. I think having the board that you have the dice on, it doesn't seem like a big change, but it does definitely add a layer of complexity of, of just something you have to think about every round of how do I put the dice out and what does that mean? Sure. Whereas in Fleet, there's two sets of dice. You roll them, you draft them. There's nothing else to that part. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Are you excited to see what uh, they come up with for the French Quarter? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, probably. 
Anyway, so that was Motor City. That was a really fun one as well. We played some more Anomia Tongue Twister. Uh, I played my first set of Anomia Tongue Twister. Yes. This is an entertaining game. We will see know, Andrew right? in this, this weekend. Yes, He'll be we will. at PAX East. I mean, everybody in the family was laughing. This is my favorite Anomia deck yet. Really? Even though it's only a print and play. Interesting. Because if you can read, you can play. Mm-hmm. Other than Anomia Kids, every other Anomia deck requires some amount of domain knowledge. As we saw in pop culture, like sometimes it's something where you just stare at it and you're like, I have no idea, zero idea. Uh-huh, right. But especially with kids, if you run into stuff like that over and over and over again, it just gets frustrating. You don't want to play. I think of like when I was a kid and I tried to play Trivial Pursuit and I just didn't know anything. Sure. <laughs> right. I get that. Yeah. And I remember that experience from Trivial Pursuit as well. And so I can see that happening sometimes, especially with our eight-year-old mm-hmm. with a, an Anomia game. It doesn't happen with Anomia tongue twisters because it's literally just, I need to be able to see the card and read it out loud. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun game it was pretty hilarious to listen to people try to say these words and epically fail jack black's jet black jet pack <laughs> well done <laughs> i did that slowly and carefully <laughs> the other stuff that we played we played a bunch of across america flux mm-hmm. which i don't think we'll talk about all that much because it is the snap review for uh this show which was a fun snap review to do. It was a fun snap review. I think you all will enjoy it. We also played some dice cards. So I put out a really short one minute video about dice cards, which is on Kickstarter right now from Card Lords. In case you did not see that video, dice cards is a really cool concept. It's a completely modular roll and write, almost like a whole series of mini games. We were playing with these things called challenge sheets, uh, which is six pre-selected cards. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really cool, this idea of having dry erase cards and two dice. And so you can have a massive roll and write where everybody is trying to do wildly different things with the same numbers. Yeah. And we kind of talked about this at some point. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. Where you can either have the same stuff if you're playing two-player or just have completely different different things. I really like this idea. I think it's super clever. It's a great way to have replayability with the randomness of the cards. Mm -hmm. It's smart. And honestly, from what I saw of the challenge sheets, they did a really great job coming up with different things Mm -hmm. that are all interesting and fun in different ways. Some of them felt more challenging and some of them were just kind of a, oh, this is a card where I can just dump numbers in when I feel like it. But that's part of the charm there. Like everything works a little differently and looks for different numbers. And there's two sets of 50 different puzzle cards in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just really clever. So the campaign is going through about the middle of April. So you got some time to go check this out. And it's $24 for the regular game. Or if you like the idea but don't really want to spend the money, you can spend $5 to do basically the print and play version that is what we've already been playing. Mm. Yeah, and it works great. I mean, I like the idea of the sheets. It's a little bit obviously less random. It's a little less random and a little bit less portable, but it's still good. Mm -hmm. So I will link to that in the show notes. It's really cool. Yeah, the only other stuff that we played, we played some Tussie Mussy in a restaurant and we played some Jekyll vs. Hyde in a restaurant. And that's all I have. Uh, yeah, I really <laughs> enjoyed 
playing Jekyll versus Hyde, even though you managed to win this time. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, that was just a pull it out of my behind in <laughs> I, round three. You did it. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Well, that is our list. What we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear all about Across America Flux. We're going to come back, welcome our new community members, and then we're going to talk about the games that we play the most. We'll be right back. I'd love to take our family on a road trip. Are we there yet? No! We could travel across the United States, seeing the sights, stopping for famous landmarks. He hit me! Stop it! Maybe we'd better take a card game instead. <laughs> this is a snap review for Across America Flux, the newest version of the Flux card game from Looney Labs. Like most of the other Flux games, it was designed by Andrew Looney. And it's best for two to six players, ages eight and up. So, Nitra, let's talk about that art. For the most part, this looks like other Flux games. There's a lot of text and not a lot of images. But the Keeper cards are all American landmarks, illustrated in a lovely postcard style by Katie Melrose. They're nice. I like them. So how do we play Across America Flux? Well, for anyone who hasn't played a Flux game before, where have you been? But really, the concept is simple. Every turn, you'll be drawing some cards and playing some cards from your hand. There's four broad types of cards in this version. There's keepers, goals, actions, and new rules. New rules are what Flux is known for, and they're exactly what they sound like. They change the rules of how a turn works. The game starts at draw one, play one. But playing a new rule can turn it into combinations like draw four, play all but one with options to draw more cards by singing about travel or discard your entire hand to draw a new one. Mom. New rules stay in play until they are superseded by another new rule or some kind of action. Actions are one-time use cards. Play one on your turn to steal cards, discard rules, or maybe shift some cards around. Keepers are cards that get played in front of you, while goal cards specify a combination of two or three keepers. If any player has the keepers to fulfill the active goal, they immediately win the game. In Across America Flux, all the keepers are famous American landmarks, the types of things you'd visit on a road trip. The goals, the actions, and some of the rules play off the idea of a cross-country trip. Okay, are we there now? No! I have to go to the bathroom. So what did we expect from Across America Flux? Well, we expected the wackiness of a Flux game. I hope this one would be one of the friendlier Flux versions without a bunch of extra card types and vindictive cards that can make the game a little bit more competitive. It's a family game. And longer. And longer. But some things actually did surprise us about this. I really enjoyed the rules that encouraged us to talk about the places represented in the game. Some of the goals did this, too, like Thanks Teddy, which is about our national park system, and The State or the City, which is about the difference between Washington State and Washington, D.C., there's a rule that lets you draw extra cards if you sing a traveling song or a song about a place. I liked it, but there are some that we never need to hear again. The places represented lean heavily toward the national parks and the southwest states. But our New Englander family was still able to find a few places that we've seen in real life. Like one or two. <laughs> so, Anitra, do we recommend Across America Flux? This is a great game for families. 
It's on the simpler side for flux games, so games will generally last long enough for everyone to have a few turns, but not dragging on into infinity. <laughs> Kids love being able to change the rules, but they might not like the way that they have to keep their plans flexible. Mom, are we there yet now? Yes, we're there. Finally! <laughs> it's time to rate the game. We're going to give Across America Flux three and a half rest stops out of five. And that's Across America Flux in a snap. And we're back. Hello, we are back. We are excited to talk about games that we play a lot because that means we like them. Yes. But we're going to do something first. We are going to welcome our newest Family Gamers community members. We have four of them this week. Welcome to... Danielle Reynolds. Hello, welcome, welcome. I'm excited I, to see you this weekend I, at PAX East. Yes, I was going to say, I hope to see you at PAX East and, and maybe gush some more over her story. <laughs> yeah, we're really enjoying that game. It's really fun. Highly recommend. You have until the end of March to pick up a copy for just $20. You should do that. Go to underdoggames.com and it's right at the top. Can't miss. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Kelsey. Welcome to Anna. And welcome to Janelle. After being on the show last week, you have decided to join the community. That is an excellent decision. Reciprocal community <laughs> joining because I joined the How to Steam Broccoli community. As did I. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Welcome to the community. Thanks so much for coming. We are so glad that you're here and we hope that you will talk about some games with us. Mm-hmm. And the games that you like to play a lot because we have been talking to our community members about games that they like to play a lot. And we're going to talk about games that we like to play a lot. Anitra. Yes. That's a lot of a lot. <laughs> so let's talk about the most popular games in the Smith household. Okay, let's do that. I want to say that these aren't necessarily our favorite games. Because, like, we have favorites, but favorites don't always make it to the table. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are parents, so sometimes our preferences have to take a back seat to what will work. Right. And it's not just about, like, what our kids want. It's just how things work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if my brain is melting, I'm probably not going to play some of my not favorites, play which role might be player. a little bit more Sorry. complex. <laughs> right, exactly. So I looked through my list, and my most played games that I played mostly with kids are Drop It, Similo, Panic Island, and King Domino. To be fair, Panic Island probably shouldn't be on that list anymore. I haven't played it in maybe two years. <laughs> Santorini should be on there. Right. Instead. How? How? How did Santorini not make it above Panic Island? Because I have not played it yet as much as I did Panic That's Island crazy. back when we played Panic Island a bunch. That's crazy. All right. Um, so if we're going to talk about the games that we play with kids, my list is almost exactly the same as yours. It is Drop It, Similo, and surprisingly in third place, Quacks of Quedlinburg. Nice. I think Quacks of Quedlinburg and Drop It and Similo are going to show up again on future list podcasts because they're great family games. Mm -hmm. They really are. Yeah. Quacks is one of those games where people hear it and they're like, Wait, that, that's not a family game. And, you know, that's kind of one of those things that we like to talk about is games yeah. that you can play as a family that might not tick that family game box. Yeah. Lately, I have also liked going the other direction. I saw a Facebook post that was about, like, what's your favorite abstract game? Mm. And I realized that maybe not my favorite, but the one I play the most often is Sinkolinko. Yeah, I feel like you take that game out a lot. <laughs> it works everywhere, and it's an abstract game for more than two players, which right. there are not a lot of those out there. Right. 
Right. No, I agree with you. Anyway, so yeah, I think the thing about Drop It and Similo is that they're games that it's really easy for a kid to come into and join even partway through. Sure. I think that makes sense. I mean, we've kind of talked about that with that Similo style of game a lot where you Mm -hmm. can just kind of drop Mm -hmm. in and be like, hey, what's going on? I'd like to be part of this. We talked about that a lot when we were talking about the suspects games where kids could drop in or leave or whatever. Totally. And, you know, the parents could be kind of the core of that experience. So, yeah, I mean, those are the types of games that work really well in that environment where the kids can kind of wander off and do something else and then wander back in. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of what our community members said. So Denny Murray says, with kids, the most often games played are My First Castle Panic. Great game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. King of the Dice, which is a Haba game that is less well-known in the United States. Although I remember when T was at Haba, they were talking about this game or some kind of version of this game or something coming to the States. Yeah. Also, Sushi Go. Oh, yeah. Yep. Spot It. And guess who? Spot It is an amazing game. Spot It is an amazing game. Now, Danny Marie, I have to recommend Dinosaur Tea Party here. <laughs> we talked uh, yeah. in the community chat about doing some more Play This, Not That stuff. And I think we've even done a Play we, This, we Not did That one for, for Guess, Guess Who, who and yeah. Dinosaur Tea Party. Yep. If you play Guess Who, you should definitely check out Dinosaur Tea Party because you can play with more than two players. It's a terrific game with hilarious and wonderful art. There are some things you can do to make it a little bit more challenging than a guess who, but you can also keep it at that very simple guess who level Mm -hmm. and still play it with four or five players. I think it goes to four. I don't think I I don't remember. But anyway, so that is uh, that's what Denny Marie said was the most common kids games in their family. Stephanie Nye says that her most played family games are Sleeping Queens. Zombie Kids Evolution, and Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Highly These approved. are all great games. <laughs> Highly approved. <laughs> all right. Brant mentions a few games that he plays with his kids. Sleeping Queens. Game right game. I wonder, have you played Sleeping Queens 2 yet, Brant? Mm. Mm. Disney Princess Cupcake game, which is awesome. He says this is awesome. I, I will take <laughs> his word for I don't, it. I don't know. I, I okay. don't know the game. And Doggy Go, which I don't know if that's like Sushi Go. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Courtney says that her kid's getting older, so the games played with kids have definitely changed over time, but her best guess is that current most played is Azul, Sushi Go, and Harry Potter Codenames, although also a lot of missions of the crew. Oh, and Sean says his little one is too small to play anything yet, but he plays a lot of Uno with his nieces. Aw. That's sweet family time. Yeah, I mean, hey, they're the kids that are in your life. Yeah. All right. Now on to the serious, the (laughs) games we play without kids. Mine are not serious at all. (laughs) So these are not the games we play on Board Game Arena. These are just games we play without kids. Yes. Okay. Real life in-person games played not with kids. As far as I can tell looking at my board game stats, my most played game without kids is Tussie Mussy. I occasionally play it with kids, but I usually play it with adults. My most played game, this shocked me. And I think the reason why it comes up as a most played games without kids is because our kids in particular don't like this okay, game. Okay, sure, sure. Even though it's totally a game that kids can play. And it's Draftosaurus. 
That is an interesting one. Yeah, Draftosaurus was in my list and it was hard for me to figure out how much I play it with kids versus without. I think I've played it with kids more than you have. And maybe that's why they got sick of me suggesting it. Do you think so? I mean, Asher Maybe? just doesn't like it. I don't and know. I don't, I don't really know why. I mean, usually he's got such good taste in games. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. But the second one on my list is a game that we've already talked about, which is Fleet Dice. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. That's a game that you play together with your guy friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's a con- like the, the games we play the most is a kind of a combination thing. You kind of touched on this with Panic Island, right? So it's not only games that we play a lot, but it's also games that we've had for a long period of time. So like in the the last year, I have played Three Sisters more than I have played Fleet Dice, but I've had Fleet Dice longer. Right. And so it has, you know, risen up above that. So, yeah. It shouldn't surprise anyone that behind Tussie Mussy for me were a bunch of solo games because I play them solos. Therefore, I don't play them with kids. So that's stuff like Grove and Sprawlopolis and A Gentle Rain. Those are the games that I play most without kids, which is to say that most of the time I play games with kids. (laughs) Or by myself. Uh, Yeah, I get that. Sorry, I guess. It's okay. (laughs) Well, my third game is a party game, and it is So Clover. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's another one that we have brought our kids into playing that a couple of times. But this is a tough game for kids to play. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you really have to think in abstract ways. It's also a really cool and super clever game. So, like, anytime we get together with anybody that we haven't shown this game to, I want to show them this you game. You want to show them the it's game. It's, like, super high on the list. I mean, I expect that within the next year, Green Team Wins will surpass So Clover. Probably. Green Team Wins is less clever, but has more of those, like, ah, oh, moments. Well, I, it, I mean, so I think it's just... Not an easier teach, because I think the teach on So Clover is super easy, but number one, it scales to seven players out of the box. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think that it's a really good icebreaker. It's yes. a great game. If you go yes. to like a board game night thing at someone's house and you know there's going to be people there that you don't know, I think Green Team Wins is a better selection than So Clover, because with So Clover, you have to rely on some of that being on the same wavelength stuff. Yeah, like a just one or something like that. You're trying to clue each other. Green Team Wins is not about cluing each other. Green Team Wins is about trying to predict popular answers. I think in some ways it's really about causing that conflict for the sake of the conversation around around the table. Right? I mean, it it, it is. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what gives the game spice is that you're like, oh, what? The marshmallow? Are you for real? Exactly. You know? So... Uh, anyway, so yeah, so my three were Draftosaurus, Fleet Dice, and So Clover. So let's talk a little bit about what our community says about this, the games that they find themselves playing a lot without children. So our friend Brant says Marvel Champions, all the different versions of Gloomhaven, <laughs> and My Hero Academia card game. I know enough to know that that's based on a anime, which might not always be kid appropriate, so... Yeah, I don't know enough about the anime. I mean, I know that some people that I listen to, like podcast-wise, like their kids watch it and have no problem with it and stuff. Okay. I mean, I kind of get the sense that it's maybe a teen kind of thing. I'm not really sure. I just, I'm not really an anime person, so I don't really know that stuff at all. Sure. Uh, Stephanie says that she and her husband get a lot of card games to the table right now. So they've been playing a lot of Fantasy Realms, Claim, and Arboretum. Courtney says that the adults 
On her side, play Wingspan, good call, Pandemic, and that's pretty clever. However, Pandemic has fallen out of rotation after playing Pandemic Legacy Seasons 1 and 2, which I can totally understand. I'm in, like, November of Season 0 right now. I'm ready to be done with this game. <laughs> but she says that it's been firmly replaced by Pan Am, which I love is that. awesome, and yeah. that game rules. We should play more of that. We should play more of that. That game is so good. I love it. And Sean says that for his groups... He plays a lot of Sleeping Gods, The Mind, and Deep Sea Adventure. I will never complain about somebody playing Deep Sea Adventure. <laughs> nope. Sleeping Gods is one of those games that uh, I want to play. I mean, that's a Red Raven game. Their, their stuff just doesn't quite get their hooks into our family. Yeah. And we don't have a really good standing board game night with a bunch of adults. So a lot of those games just kind of pass us by just because of you know our inability to commit to them. So. Yeah. I'm always glad to hear people, you know, playing and enjoying those games. All right. Nick, among other people, asked us to also talk about our most played games on Board Game Arena. Yep. I'm going to surprise you. What would you think my most played game on Board Game Arena is? I mean, what I know is that when I'm working late and I look over, you're always playing Six Nymphed. It would feel that way, yes. Yes. But there is a game I have played more on Board Game Arena. Happy City? No. No. It's Abandon All Artichokes. Really? At one point, I got into, what are they called? The arena games on Board Game Arena. And mm -hmm. I like really, really wanted to get up into the highest tier on Abandon All Artichokes. And I played it 145 oh times. Oh my gosh. I bet you I haven't played 145 games on Board Game Arena. <laughs> Six Nymphed, I only have a little bit over 100 games. <sighs> so it's still a lot. You're but, getting a lot more out of your $24 than I'm getting yes, out of my $24. But something that both of those games have in common is that they're games that I can sit down to and like pull up as a real-time game on Board Game Arena. They don't take very long, and it doesn't require a lot of brain power and investment from me. Like There are other games that I play a lot, and then I have to really take a break from. Like Patchwork, I get super invested into doing it just right. Mm-hmm. Six nymphed? I don't really care. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this number. Oh, well, I had to take a whole bunch of negative points. Well, that kind of stinks for me. Mm -hmm. And move on. Sure. So that's why I play Six nymphed a lot, because it just doesn't take a lot of investment. And Abandon All Artichokes, now that I have stopped trying to maximize my arena time, is similar. I can just play it and be like, oh, they played this. I'm going to play that. And, oh, eh, I didn't do too great. That's fine. What is your most played game on Board Game Arena? If you were to guess what my most played game is, since you made me guess, what would you guess it is for me? Oh, you mostly play on Board Game Arena when friends ask you to play. This is true. I'm not going to say seasons, although there was a period of life when it felt like you played a lot of seasons. Yeah, and Zulkin also I played a lot of at that oh, yeah? period of time. But neither of those are the number neither one. Neither of those. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it's Wingspan. No, I've played Wingspan probably that one time that I played with you. Okay, well. The number one most played game on BGA for me is Seven Wonders Duel. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not sure I've ever played that on BGA. I've only oh, played it's fantastic. Seven we Wonders. Should, we should play. We should play it on BGA. It's a oh, great I, implementation. I've played it all of twice. Yeah. I and think one I've zero times. played it 30 times. I really like Seven Wonders on BGA, like the regular one. Mm-hmm. Now that I've played it in person, it's one of those games where I'm like, I wouldn't mind playing it in person, but I'm never going to choose to play it in person. 
I mean, that's fine. But Seven Wonders is huge. Yeah, Seven Wonders Duel is my number one. I mean, it's another one of those games where, like, the setup is not onerous, but it's still just better on BGA. It's a right. great, sure. great format sure, for sure. it. So that's my number one. My number two is Happy City. Funny. I went through a short time of playing a lot of Happy City. Actually, before we got the game in person, mm-hmm. when we knew it was coming, I yep. played a lot of it on Board Game Arena. And then I haven't played a whole lot since. A little bit, but not much. My third game was Baron Park. Nice. Yeah, that game just is so good. I love that game so much. I've only played that a couple of times. Mm. So that's my list. It's uh, a whole... By the way, oh, I should say the drop-off after Seven Wonders Duel is pretty steep. So, you know, Happy City and Baron Park, and there were a few others that were kind of around that same ballpark. Mm, Sure. Yeah, but definitely Seven Wonders Duel is my number one. All right. One more thing that was requested. Sure. Our community chat asked if we could list. I can't list, but I can give the most. The games that I beat you at the most often and the games that you beat me at the most often. Okay. Let's do it. You always beat me at Unmatched. Like, more than 80% of the time. (laughs) Is that what the number says? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So much. Mm. However... I usually beat you at Jekyll versus Hyde. <laughs> you okay? You also said on here that you usually beat me at Deblockle. I literally don't remember the last time I beat you at that game. I just uh, yeah. You always beat me at Deblockle, like <laughs> okay. always, always. I think I've played a lot more people than just you at Deblockle, so it was hard for me to tease out. The, I feel like I can never ever beat you at that stupid game. <laughs> I just. Like, to the point where I'm like, yes, I will absolutely play Deblockle. It's a fun game, but I'm just going to lose again. So, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned, but I saw Deblockle uh, recently, and it has new packaging. Yep, I knew that. I mean, I know I told you, but I don't know if I told all of you listeners on the <laughs> podcast. Our biggest problem with Deblockle when we had it for review years ago now is that it's a great coffee table game, but we couldn't put it away. Yeah, have cubes and a board and nothing to hold them. We had to destroy the box getting it out, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, it comes in a nice, attractive box and you can actually put it away again. So if that was stopping you, you should go get to Blockle. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So unmatched, I always win. So let's go play some unmatched. Okay. <laughs> I am always happy to play. I appreciate that very much. I think anytime you play as Yanenga, you you have a pretty good win percentage. I usually Yenenga. do okay as Yanenga. I don't do great against you with anything though. Like I could probably pull Bruce Lee and still manage to lose. So I don't know. It's fine. What I do know is that by the time this podcast comes out, Unmatched Tales to Amaze is gonna be live on oh, crowdfunding. Man. I we're, I mean we're gonna buy that it, game. It looks I amazing. Mean, it just oh, this is cooperative unmatched against a villain. Yeah. If that doesn't sound amazing to you, I'm sorry. I'm so stoked for it. It looks awesome. But anyway, oh gosh, Anisha, I think we're done. I think yeah, that's so it. so you, listener, what did you think of this show? It was a little bit different than our usual. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A little bit more of an insight into how our family works. And just tried to not just give you straight up stats. Did you like it? Uh, you can tell us through social media. Yep, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Family Gamers AA. The best place, though, to talk to us is in the community. Go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just head to Facebook and pull up the Family Gamers community. 
If, however, you do not like social media and try to stay away from it, I don't blame you. You can still email us anytraitthefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Or even leave a comment on our website, thefamilygamers.com, on the show notes for this episode. Mm -hmm. Yep, we'll get those as well. Don't forget to check out the Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Tell your friends about the podcast. And if you love us, please take the time to leave us a review at Apple Podcast. It really does a lot to help get this out there for other people who haven't heard of us yet. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify all places where you can leave ratings and reviews. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. All right. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring the show. Anitra? Yes. We're done. Tomorrow, bright and early, you're driving into Boston. Wee. We're packs. East, and we're looking forward to sharing some of that show with you all next week. But until then, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.